Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to The Analyst Inside Cricket, and we're still in India. I'm Simon Hughes, and in this edition, we've got an exclusive interview with Ravi Chandran Ashwin, the world's number one test bowler. He tells us how a recording device has helped him get to that status. And I'm Simon Mann. We'll also hear from Ravi Shastri on how all the cash in Indian cricket is helping to find new talent around this vast country. And England's emerging white ball star, Sam Billings, reveals the nicknames of the England team. Of course, what we'll also do is review that brilliant one-day series and ask, are England good enough to win the Champions Trophy. And don't forget you can press the subscribe button so you automatically receive our weekly editions and please leave a review of this podcast on iTunes. So the series in India, the one-day series, finishes India 2, England 1. England winning a dramatic last game at Eden Gardens in Calcutta by five runs. Redemption of sorts for Stokes and then Wokes as well bowling that last over. Just that feeling that it was going to be same situation all over again with the ball disappearing around the park and India winning as West Indies did when Stokes bowled that final over in the World 2020. What, what a game of cricket though, Simon. It was a fabulous game. It was a fabulous game and England deserved to win it. They had the, the worst of the conditions. They had to deal with a lot of movement early on when the, the light was, was good, but there was plenty of green in the pitch. And then, of course, they had to bowl with the dew and the damp underfoot. I think the bowlers were slipping as they were running in. And they held their nerve really well. I think, you know, Credit to the batsman for getting 320 in quite tricky conditions, the sort of conditions actually that Virat Kohli and others said you get quite often in England. And then to bowl, I don't think they got all their bowling right. I think they exploited the movement in the pitch well, but there were times when they just got their tactics a bit wrong. But in a way, that's what these one-day series are about, uh, building towards a big tournament so they can identify the kind of bowlers they need in those last 10 overs and where to bowl. It was a funny one uh, today because normally you'd think at the death you bowl Yorkers because they're the sort of percentage best option. But actually, when there's something in the pitch, as there was today, for, especially for the seamers, you're better off, I think, bowling more normally, just bowling normal lengths, normal lines, and batsmen are forced into trying to hit over the top, and with the movement and slightly uneven bounce there was in this pitch, they mishit it. So, you know, England finally, almost by default, got their tactics right just at the last moment, and I'm, I'm so pleased they won, because, you know, their one-day bandwagon has been rolling on in England and they're almost invincible. But when they come overseas, sometimes they look a little bit more vulnerable. So to have beaten that fantastic Indian team is impressive. Now, you've bowled the final over in a, in a big Lords final. What, what's it like for someone like Chris Wokes, 16 to win in the match, you know, crowds baying for an Indian victory? What's it, what's it like? What's that experience like? It's terrifying, really, uh, uh, because you know that one stupid ball, an accidental full toss, a ball down the leg side, a wide, can give the other team victory. It's all on those last six balls. It's all or nothing. 
You know, no one's going to remember if you lose the game. No one's going to say, well, you know, it was sort of somebody who misfielded in the 40th over or somebody bowled a long hop in the 42nd over. If you lose that game uh, with 16 to win or 14 to win off that last over, it's your fault. And lots of people come up to you and say, don't worry, it's not your fault. But you do, you take the responsibility. And obviously... There is a fair amount of guesswork involved in what the batsman's going to try and do, and you know where do you set the fielders? It's so difficult in the modern game because batsmen are so brilliant at their versatility; they can hit the ball almost anywhere, 360 degrees. So where do you put those five boundary fielders? And also, in a way, if you put those boundary fielders in particular places, that's telegraphing probably where you're going to bowl, like, like England did. They put the long off and the long on out put deep cover and deep square leg out, fine leg and third man in the ring. That tells the batsman he's going to bowl full and probably wide. So you can set yourself for that. So you've got to be, I think you've got to be quite brave, actually. You've got to forget, over, overlook the fact that it's all down to you and just you know, kind of immerse yourself in trying to outwit your, that batsman for those six balls, maybe try and mix it up a bit. I mean, I, you know, I made the mistake in the NatWest final of 1989, obviously nothing like as as intense and an atmosphere, but still, you know, probably 8 million watching on telly in the, in the 1980s. And I bowled a, a slower ball, second ball to Neil Smith. Many Middlesex uh, fans will not forgive me for it because he whacked it for six. But I'd been deceiving him with the slower ball in previous overs. So I thought that was my banker and it failed. And you feel a complete fool. And actually my whole career has been sort of identified with that moment. So, you know, they are career-defining moments. And you've somehow got to hold your nerve which Chris Wokes did. Yeah, and Ben Stokes as, as well in the 48th over. I mean, he doesn't have you know, great memories of, of playing at Eden Gardens also, being hit for four sixes by Carlos Brathway. But sort of redemption mm. of sorts for him. He, he made runs and he, and he bowled brilliant in that 48th over. He, he took uh, three wickets. And also as well, you, you play well in that sort of theatre. Mm. You, you put yourself in the frame for a decent IPL contract as well if, if he's allowed to play significant amounts of IPL cricket. I mean he's really come forward as a one day player I felt last year that Ben Stokes hadn't really got it right as a one day cricketer. He had a best score of about 70 his bowling was a bit hit and miss but now he's coming in at number six and he's smacking it really hard and hitting it into the gaps and, and really giving that sort of that, that icing on the cake of the last five overs he's really giving getting England the momentum to get really big scores and very dangerous batsman his bowling is, uh, is is courageous and he deserved the the man of the match today for three wickets that he took he, he went for a lot of runs but he got Coley out vitally and he also got a couple of wickets towards the end where batsmen were taking him on he backed himself England you know actually sort of stuck to a, a more traditional English style of bowling and I think that probably help them in the end and that that's the kind of uh, surfaces they're going to be playing on the Champions Trophy in June in England so that bodes well for them I think. Looking at the series as a whole it's the, it's the first time I've come to India and I've seen all the one-day cricket in India since yeah. the, the start of the century every single match that England have played against India in one-day cricket it's the first time they've really I think sort of threatened, challenged India consistently in a series. Okay, they won the odd game here and there. It was actually 3-2 last time. They won the first game and the last game. There's been five nils and, and five ones. They drew in 2002. It was the first time that you, you really felt that India were being extended in, mm. in, in this series, which shows, I think, you know, that England are, are an improving team and you know in their own conditions. I mean, they, they've been focusing on the Champions Trophy, haven't they, in the World Cup. They've been really 
looking at those two tournaments as tournaments they can win, really sort of give the game a, a huge boost in you know in England in the UK, and the bowling still looks a bit vulnerable, but they they look like a side who are going to excite. They look like a side who, who you know who could do really well, but it's all going to come down to those pressure situations, yeah. isn't it? Like, like as we saw in the the, the game, the, you know, the final match. And, and so the the, the massive mo- movement that they've made in this in this series, advance wise, is is working out who are going to bowl at, at the end of the innings. Chris Wokes, I think, is they've identified as one. He's not always going to get it right. You don't. Um, Desmond Haynes, in fact, the former West Indies player, is still reminding me every time I see him, that I owe him about 10 grand, which he'd, plan- he'd bought uh, a spoiler and uh, some kind of other attachments to his car in Barbados, backing me to win that 1989 NatWest final. We lost. So he says I owe him about 10 grand for the various bits of his car that he had to pay for himself. It's tough on Bob. It's tough it? on Bob. It is. But, but, you know, Chris Wokes held his nerve there. Um, Stokes is obviously good at the end. I mean, I think that the one ingredient that England need to make their bowling look better is Mark Wood. If they could find a way of getting him fit and keeping him fit for that Champions Trophy, I think he's he could be the difference. I think he could just get key wickets. And I mean India have paid out played out of their skin in this series to win those mm. two matches. I mean their batting has been brilliant. Uh, I, I don't put any blame on England's bowlers really. They they've tried their absolute best. They haven't got much variety. Uh, that's a bit of a problem, but I think in English conditions they'll be a force. The batting is is now so sound. There's always going to be someone who allows the team to kick on and get three fifty, three sixty, which is which is a great position of strength to be in. What about um, the influence of of spin over this this winter? I mean, it's coming towards an end as far as England's matches in mm. India. Jadeja has been good in the One Day series. Ashwin, not quite so effective in one-day cricket, but uh, in the Test Series, he, I mean, he's a, he's a top-class bowler, in, especially in Indian conditions. I, I said to uh, Ravi Ashwin, actually, oh, you, you don't like him being called Ravi, do you? We've, called it, we've got to call him Ravi Chandran. Ravi Chandran, yeah. Ashwin. Uh, I, I had a very long conversation with him the other day. He very kindly uh, allowed me to sort of interview him about cricket, and he, he described himself you know, as a, a cricket obsessive, and it's that obsession that's clearly made him into the bowler that he is. Not quite as effective in one-day cricket, perhaps. It's a difficult job being a spinner in one-day cricket. But in test cricket, he is deservedly the number one bowler in the world. 120-odd wickets in the last two years. Uh, you know, Loads of fivers, match-winning, series-winning performances. It's attention to detail, and interestingly, the use of a voice recorder that's really got him to, to that number one title. I have a couple of wrist loading positions uh, at the last. I try and load it at 180 sometimes, try and load it at 90 sometimes, and try and see how much of drift difference I can make at the crease. And it does make a lot of difference because uh, if I load in a certain way, I deliver from a different point in the crease. And if I load in another way, I come close to the stumps. And even the amount of or the margin of drift varies with respect to how I load the ball. So uh, those are the subtleties I, I bank on. I mean, these are these are like. It might seem like subtleties, but these are huge changes because uh, not many people will be able to load it in different load uh, their wrist in different fashions uh, when they're going through a spell. It is probably uh, most of the spinners just load their uh, load their wrist in one position all their life. So uh, and those... when you talk about load, you mean sort of this position here yeah. where you're braced yeah. and the ball is close to yeah. you. Yeah, probably favorite. probably the position where I'm rocking back and then moving forward. 
uh, and sometimes I even ch- play around with the rock backs. Sometimes I, I go through quickers in the crease to try and create some sort of a mirage to the batsman. Sometimes I, I load and slow my action down at the crease depending on what I want to do in that particular spell. It is it is very interesting what I've been able to manage uh, over the last year or so. I've done a whole lot of crazy things, to be very honest. Uh, I don't think I ever imagined that I would be able to do so much. Uh, and that is exactly why I use a voice recorder to try and uh, uh, record things about what I'm doing and how much I can draw from those experiences going into the future. Uh, I try and do it as a, uh, as a laboratory practice and it, sometimes I execute it immediately in the match and try and record it saying, this is what I did and this was the result and this is what, ca- this is what can happen if I did it in this fashion. So what else can I do? How else can I change my wrist position to get it into different positions? So these are the sort of uh, things I do with a voice recorder and sometimes I do it with loading. Sometimes the craziest thing I've realized about bowling spin is how much of a difference your run-up can make. Uh, at uh, how much of a, If you can increase your speed of your run-up by 5%, what is the result on the other side? If you can reduce it by 5%, what is the result on the other side? So. These are some crazy things I've realized over these uh, years that I've been a spinner for and I would say I've been very lucky to actually have a strong understanding brain of all these things. And so you're, you're, it sounds like you're, you're almost a, a bowling scientist. <coughs> Do you look at um, video as well? <coughs> I, look at, I look at heaps of videos. I've just reduced it over uh, the last year or so uh, because uh, I've been more interested about what I'm doing at the crease and what I'm doing at the run-up that I've actually forgotten about what's happening at the other side. Uh, but I have watched so much of videos in my life. I watch so much cricket. I, I woke up this morning watching the Women's Big Bash League in Australia. So uh, I, I do a bit of. Uh, uh, I started uh, coaching a lot of kids when I, in 2010, and that's when I 2009 probably. That's when I actually started becoming a cricketer of sorts. And I think coaching those people actually helped me understand batting better, uh, helped me understand cricket better. And I was I was so crazy that even in 2011. Once we finished the World Cup and we won the World Cup in three days' time, I was back in Chennai. Uh, I have a couple of club teams that I own now. Uh, so I, I bought them for about uh, a crore of rupees each because I just have the interest of doing that. And I, I go to those games, try and take a dairy down and see where these people are struggling and how I can make a difference to their cricket and all that. And sort of, a, you can say I'm sort of a cricket tragic. Rather than a or cricket a geek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a cr- yeah, a, cr- a cr- cricket tragic. That's very good. You sometimes get the feeling with with players that you know when they sh- stop playing, they're sort of glad the game's behind them. You know, oh, I'm never going to pick up a bat again. You say, you say to some former players, "Oh, I'm never going to pick up a bat again." They say, I, "You know, I've done with the game." I mean, Jeffrey, for example, Jeffrey Boycott. I don't think he ever picked no. up a bat and played after he after he re- retired. And I think supporters, spectators, they always feel like you, you know, if you're in cricket, immersed in cricket, you'll you'll sort of always love it and always want to be playing it, you know, benefit games or charity games. But it's not it's not necessarily the way. It's great to hear someone so in, enthusiastic about the game. I mean, it was such a handful in the t- in the Test series against England. I mean, Cook had done well against him, for example. Alistair Cook had done well against him in the past, but he, he, you know he's really struggled against him. It's just that it's that subtlety that he mm. has. It's funny, just sort of sensing how people feel about him outside uh, the cricket bubble, if you like, you know, on social media, that sort of thing. People say, oh, you know, one person said to me, oh, he's just a bits and pieces cricketer. Um, and, he, he, of course, he didn't have a great record in England as well. And, you know, people judge that, don't they? They say, well, you know, he can't do it out, mm. outside of India. And, you know, his record in India is very good. But, you know, look at it. It's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal record. It I really mean, he hasn't, he hasn't done very well elsewhere. I think he's got something like 207 
of his 248 test wickets in India. It's incredible, really. He's got three in England in one test and about 15 or something in Australia. And he's really looking forward to the South Africa series that India are playing um, in, in a couple of months' time because that, I think, will test him again against a, you know, a different team. I, I, I think that uh, you can't underestimate the influence of Anil Kumble on Ravi Ashwin, who w- was an unorthodox bowler, really, Anil Kumble, but kept it very simple. He just bowled you know, one ball, and he allowed human variation, natural variation, to make each ball behave differently. And uh, over his career, Shane Warne did the same. You know, as time went on... Warren bowled less and less googlies and flippers and you know all sorts of other deliveries, and he just stuck with his leg break and a sort of straight on slider. And I think we've seen Ravi Ashwin do the same. He started his career probably partly in one day cricket, bowling carom balls and you know leg breaks and things. And and actually he's gone back now to bowling pretty much just lots of off breaks with the odd straight on delivery, very subtle little changes, keeping the batsman under control. And I said to him actually that you know he's the most interesting spinner I've seen since Warren retired because there's you can just see the way he's manipulating a batsman all, all, all the time. Not quite so effective in one day cricket. Why do you think he's not been effective abroad? Is it just simply the pitches? I think he's fit? better. I think he's a better bowler now. Um, in fact, interestingly, he was saying he'd, he'd like to play county cricket mm. in the future, and he thinks that India are going to relax the the rules about Indian players coming over to England. I think he's he's maturing as a bowler and he probably will be a bit more effective now in England. He's got the added advantage of them now using the DRS uh, in Indian tests. So I think he'll be, you know, probably go from strength to strength, actually. Yeah, well, he's you know, one of their, their best players. He's, he's the number one ranked bowler in the world and he's also, his, his batting this winter has been superb as well. He's you know fantastic all round. He he's started got... as a batsman actually. Yeah. He started as an opening batsman, he was telling me. And he never got any nets. I mean, this is an extraordinary story that he never got practice in the nets playing for India until Duncan Fletcher took over as coach mm. and who really recommended that lower order players practice as hard as the top order players and now he's got four test hundreds. There's an immense amount of talent in yeah. Indian cricket, isn't it? We, we saw it in the test series. Someone like you know, Karen Nair came mm. in and did tremendous. Well, even you know, Jadav in the mm. in the in the one day series. There's Brilliant. A, a young wicketkeeper batsman called uh, Pant, nineteen yeah. years of age, yeah. Yeah. and you know he's highly spoken of as well. And one thing I think we've sensed and we, we we've noticed actually, um, we've seen it as well. The the, the building of new stadiums yeah. around India. Last one day tour, you know, went to Ranchi, for example, which is MS Dhoni's hometown. It's you know, spanking new yeah. stadium. There are yeah. all sorts of other new stadiums as well. The one at, at Pune, England played the first one day game there. And Nagpur's got a new stadium. I mean, they're all, and they're also they're going out and about as well. You know, matches played in, in, in Dharamshala, for example. Totally, they're they're yeah. spreading the word, which, which is really what they needed to do. Probably you know, ten years ago, it's been the the IPL that's been the catalyst for that, making out. You know, doing up grounds around the, the country, far-flung places like, as you say, Durham, Charlotte. It's bad news for the rest of the world because they've got 1.2 billion people to choose from. Churning out all these magnificent players. There's a lot of cash as well. There's a lot of money in Indian cricket. I know you've been speaking to Ravi Shastri about the the influence of the, the money in the game and the desire to, to take the game out to far-flung parts of India, not just the traditional centres. And he's been saying you know, how important that's been and will be to the development of Indian cricket. 
if you look at all the others, the big grounds, they've improved on their facilities. But new grounds, you know, it's amazing. That's why you see the standard of fielding. People say standard of fielding of India is improved. It's improved because of the facilities that the boys get. They can dive through themselves. I mean, tried diving in the 80s. You know, you, you won't be playing for a month, month and a half after that. So it, it's, uh, you know, you feel proud. You also feel, uh, you know, great as a cricketer that when you played, you know, cricket was basically centered around the metros. Mumbai, Chennai, Delhi, Bangalore, Kanpur. But now with the, with the stadiums coming up everywhere, like the places I mentioned, you're getting cricketers from there. You're getting a Chadeja and a Pujara from Rajkot, a Dhoni from Ranchi. You know, you'll get a Parthip Patel from Ahmedabad. As I said, you, you're getting people from all around the country. And, and in fact, Gujarat just won the, the, the and Ranji won the Ranji trophy. trophy. Yeah, and you're getting people from all over. So it's it's fabulous. Earlier, a guy like uh, Dhoni would have had to go to Jamshedpur or go to Calcutta, you know, to be noticed. Here now, at his doorstep, he's got a beautiful stadium, and Jharkhand reached the semi-final of the Ranji Trophy, which is you know, which clearly shows that Rajkot reached the quarter-finals. Jharkhand the semi-finals, you know, which is clearly showing that where there are facilities, you know, the players are coming out of there and world-class facilities. The last game was in Pune, a fabulous ground, great atmosphere, full houses. And if you go to a place like Rajkot, I've never seen practice facilities anywhere in the world. I went now, I was with the team for 18 months as the director of the team. So I went to most of the venues around the world. But I was shocked when I went to Rajkot. You know, you have 12 practice pitches. I mean, you, earlier you used to take slots as to Indian team will come at 9 to 12, Australian team will come in the afternoon. Here, both teams can come together. And anyone who comes now, they say India is one of the best places to tour. Right from hotels to airports to cricket grounds. I would, Fabulous. I would 100% Yeah, you know, And it's easy to move around. The connect, connectivity is so much better than what it used to be. You hardly get on a bus journey for two hours or three hours. It's, and there's still plenty of talent to be tapped. You know, we don't have a centre of excellence. What's happening in India you have, is that you have tremendous talent between, uh, say, 16 and 19 years of age. And then they disappear. Whereas if you have all these facilities, I would say at least 70% of that talent will be protected. And they'll, they'll push, they'll knock on the door of the Indian team. The IPL, you're the kind of impresario, the, the, the ringmaster in a way. Mm. What is that um, thing you say at the beginning of each game when you're uh, trying to get the crowd up? What, what do you say? No, I say it in their local language. So, you know, because we are a vast, vast country, you know, and we've got about 17, 18 different dialects, languages. So wherever I go, if it is in Bangalore, you know, I'll pick Kannada as a the language there. So I'll catch somebody and say, give me, you know, let's go Bangalore. How do you say it in Kannada? You know, so I'll get a line that will get the crowd going and then come back to English. So if it's in Jaipur, I'll do it in uh, in the Rajasthan language, the so local give language. Me, give me an example. Like in, uh, like in Punjab, when you go, if you're doing it in Mohali, you know, Chak Defate. Punjab, you know, like, let's rock and roll, you know, Punjab, that kind of stuff. And they're ready. That gets it going. They hear it on the this thing. So they're ready for the toss. What do you say that. in Mumbai? Mumbai, Sala Mumbai, party karibuya. You know, like, like, come on, Mumbai, get ready to party or rock. You know, so things like that. And, and then you don't know half the languages. So when you go to uh, Chennai, 
that's an old one but you say whistle podu chennai and they love it you know whistle podu means all start whistling and it's party time in bengal you go you know kevanacho calcutta i mean means you know how are you calcutta wake up you know kind of that kind of stuff. i suppose in a way what you're doing is you're drawing in yeah. all the nation yeah. all, all the dialects all the different regions yeah. Yeah. so you're playing your part yeah. in unifying the country to get absolutely. as many cricketers and as much interest as absolutely. possible absolutely and getting the crowd going you know getting more bums on seats at the ground you know, one and a half months you make a kind of package that you would <laughs> you know dream of for that one week you can compare your wages to footballers wages say okay forget the 12 months but this week i made as much as <laughs> <laughs> Rooney or uh, yeah. you know or anyone there, you yeah. know or Ronaldo anything yeah. because some of the guys they do it you know when you see those numbers and then earlier people would say are you're spoiling them you know this is i should not be giving them that much or this board should not be giving them this is market forces it it, it is the people who are paying are the franchises so it's like you know it's it's an open bid in an auction like i'd like to see what ben stokes goes for this year's auction when he comes in I mean, he might get the shock of his life when the eventual number is mentioned. Ravi Shastri was the former all-rounder, of course, who played an Indian Test side in the the 1980s. Very good spin bowler as well as opening the batting. There's a bit of Tony Gregg about him in a way, isn't it? That's sort of selling the game, broadcasting, yeah. but also selling the game as well. And he's been a coach, and you know, he's done. He's one of those people who's done virtually everything. And the, the, you know, the bidding for the next IPL, which is sort of going on right now. This is the tenth year of the IPL coming up. um the the bidding between broadcasters is going to be very interesting sony have it at the moment but star want it sony bought 10 years of the ipl for 1 billion dollars right now they're talking about the rights going for 3.5 billion dollars it's it's crazy money but that's probably what's going to happen mm-hmm. so even more money comes into the game and into the players pockets <laughs> Well, England have got their own players emerging yeah, as well, haven't true. they? We've mentioned uh, Sam Billings, for example, who, who I know you, you've also been speaking to um, and played in the in the final game, and well, made a decent fist of it. Well, he acquitted himself yeah. well, didn't he? Mm. I mean, yeah. he, you know, he had to open the batting, which is not his natural game, and he the, the pitch was moving around a bit. He played some good shots. He would have learned a lot from it. I think that that his fielding was the thing. I mean, took two key catches. nervous under pressure that marks him out as someone that's going to be a, have a big international future what do you think well the catch he took in the, in the final over jadav playing that lofty off drive and it went out towards the boundary the crowd was roaring they they thought it was another another big hit mm. and he came in just took it as if he was plucking an apple off the tree there was no sort of excessive celebration either it was just well what did you expect yeah. I, you know i backed myself to catch it um whether it was oh goodness me i'm glad i caught it i didn't feel like that it felt like you know he was cool just walked in and the team rushed out to to congratulate him as well it was almost as if well you know that that's what i do and that i mean he he was also brilliant in the field scurrying around here there and everywhere england's players squad they're such a lovely bunch you know and billings epitomizes that he's very decent he's very polite he's very enthusiastic he will always talk to anyone who who wants to to chat about the game they're incredibly approachable as a, to a man you know chris wokes is often known as the nicest man in cricket yeah. i i just love the, their whole spirit the way they play the game their attitude that the the fun they obviously have uh, and that is reflected in the matiness of them and 
you know, I said to Sam, what about your nicknames? Uh, you know, have you got some silly nicknames for each other? And he said they did. For me, Jazza, I mean, it's pretty, pretty dull, but um, the lads think I'm quite posh, so... Yeah, that's, that's simply why I get called Jazza. Also, Bilbo, I used to be tiny as a kid, so Bilbo Baggins, the Hobbit. So, uh, Joe Root and I growing up were the smallest by miles. So, uh, um, yeah, taller than most of the lads now, and so is he. So, um, yeah, but that's just stuck, really. And I like the, the, the Jason Roy one. <laughs> they won't be too happy if I say that, but um, he's got a rather big head, so um, melon head, we call him, so... Uh, yeah, he's not too happy with that, but a bit of a laugh, anyway. Well, that's Sam Billings. Well, what are your favourite nicknames in cricket, then? Ben Stokes' nickname is Baked Bean. Or sometimes, after a orangutan, Ranga, they call him. We in the Cricketer magazine have done our 11 this month, and each month there's an 11 of, sort of some topic, and this month it's 11 favourite nicknames. I think the two that I like the most, they're quite silly, really, but uh, one is the South African bowler called Monde Zondeki, whose nickname is All Hands. The other one, nobody will know this, but there was a guy that played for Nottinghamshire called Greg Mike, who was an average cricketer, mainly a, a bowler who batted at eight. And he went through a spell of batting at eight for knots and getting naught and one, so he called him Binary Mike. And it stuck. <laughs> are, all, are all Hughes's called Yozza? yeah. They, they, they are, and that started with David Boys in the back stuff, it was wasn't it? Boys in the back stuff, but in yeah. fact, even before that, David Hughes of Lancashire was known as Yozza, and he preceded me by some you know decade or so. And I think Hughes, the nickname for Hughes in the North West is Yozza. Every Hughes is called Yozza. Yeah, right. So when I came on the scene, David Hughes already being quite a prominent player, Mike Gatting just said, well, Yozza number two, you know. So, so I, got, I got called Yozza. Actually, I, my, I tell you what, my favourite one is um, is uh, you know most nicknames are terrible. They're sort of just ending a Y, Wokesy, yeah. Stokesy, and all yeah. that. My favourite, I think, is a, a player from Middlesex who went to Hampshire called Kevin James, who does quite a bit of radio yeah, yeah, now, yeah. and he was known as Spikes because he was so far up the coach's arse. That's all you could see, and it probably applies to. Quite a few players. Around, well, you'll congratulate you just for, for reeling that to the world. Yeah, I mean, it's in it's in a lot of hard yakker actually, and I've referred to him as Spikes virtually all the time. Poor guy. Well, the, Not well, fair, is it? The, the one nickname that you know, is, is obvious, and I, I don't even think people realise it's, it's it's the case. Actually, I mean, Jack Russell. Mm. He, you know, everyone just calls him Jack, and he yeah. refers to himself as Jack. But you know, his name is not Jack, is it? It's Robert. But everyone, I think assumes that his first name is Jack, even though it's not. Should we end up by doing our high point, low point? I know what your low oh, point is at the end of your tour well, of let, India. Let's go with the low point first, <laughs> yes. I, I uh, made the mistake of visiting the the Hooghly River this morning, um, very early, six o'clock, got up to watch the sun rise over the, the beautiful city and the, the amazingly serene... Hooghly River with all these people carrying half their body weight or twice their body weight across the bridge and I just was tempted I was really thirsty and I was tempted in some sugar cane there was a little man grinding what looked like a mangle putting these branches of sugar cane through and producing juice and I supped a big glass of it for probably about three rupees cost about two p and I've been regretting it ever since. Mm. Um, it didn't stay down for long. Yeah, well, I've seen the effects of it. I mean, I have to say, when you started telling the story, I 
my instinctive reaction was schoolboy error, but um, mm. but there we go. I should have known by now, shouldn't I? Really, I mean, I've been coming to India for. 30 years yeah. I came to Calcutta in 1980 yeah. so should really know by now well I first came to Calcutta in, in 1996 and this is going to be my high point is an England victory at last in Calcutta they played the World Cup final here in 1987 they played in 2002 here when I mean they were really they were they were sawn off uh, the umpire gave me out Marcus Trescothi was winning the game for England played brilliantly made 100 and ball was pitching you know like two foot outside Leg stump. The last time they were here, they were another winning position. They oh. um, they had India two hundred for six, and they got two seventy. Dhoni thrashed it, and they were hundred. They were hundred twenty nine for no wicket in reply, and they lost their last well, all ten wickets are about forty five. So England winning in Calcutta. I've seen it happen. Yeah, I've seen England win. You were there in Calcutta. I was there. That's, that's, that's my high point to end this week. They, they've exercised the ghost of Eden Gardens. It's it's great. Yeah, but it? I wasn't here for the World 2020 final. I watched that on television. But it was, that was an, that was another defeat. At last, England, England have, have won in Calcutta. This three-match one-day series is, you know, it's shown how one-day cricket has evolved so fast. It's a compelling game, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, everyone said, oh, you know, what's fifty-over cricket got to offer? It's going to die. But I mean, these games have been absolutely brilliant. More runs in this three-match one-day series than any other three-match one-day series played before. Stunning. Yeah. So Simon's off to the north of India. Mm-hmm. I'm heading back home. Will you please let us have a review on iTunes for what you think of this? And also you can tweet us at the analyst or cricket underscore M A N. Yeah, that's it. Good. Well good luck. Safe travels. Uh, next week we'll be looking back at the, the T twenties next Tuesday. So tune into that. And in the meantime, thanks for listening. Yeah, goodbye. Podcast Network.